So let me, let me make a fun journey today. During the conference, the theme, KISS, has just been with dealing with, Lord, we want to make intimacy with you um, a little bit more, more realistic and alive. Sometimes in the church world, we do a great job of preaching messages that motivate and inspire, but not always equip us to know what in the world are we supposed to do when we get out there. I often say to people, when I speak on Sunday, I don't speak to people Sundays, I speak to their Mondays. And, and, and so I'm going to speak to your Monday today. Because uh, in that whole journey of, of, of growing one's intimacy with the Lord, I think we go through a lot of dry times, a lot of times where we don't feel God, where God feels way far away. And, and so can I make the journey with you? If you're taking notes, why don't you call today the desert times, the desert times? Because <clears throat> people don't talk about those very much. You know, most pastors don't get up and say, listen, I'm going through a dry desert time now. God feels a million miles away, you know. Uh, but reality is all of us go through spiritually desert times. Now, obviously, that can be brought on by sin, but most of the time, uh, the kind of deserts I'm talking about today are not brought on by sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about times where none of us are perfect. We all have some sin. I mean, nobody's perfect, but you're saying, man, just, you know, I, I'm in a dry kind of uh, the New Testament language that Jesus used for it was wilderness. And you remember Jesus himself was taken into the desert, the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights. And, and let me remind you that it says the Spirit of God himself led him into the desert. Isn't that interesting? And by the way, at the end of the 40 days and 40 nights, <clears throat> it says clearly that he came out in the power of the Spirit. So in other words, though certainly it was there before, even more of the Holy Spirit's power came because he'd walked through the desert. See, everybody wants to just jump over the desert. You don't. You walk through the desert. And, and so, uh, it, you know, and let me kind of make a run with you. Uh, I love Hosea, verse, chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, and Hosea was talking to us as the church, the bride of Christ. So it, this verse is to you and me. Therefore, I, speaking on the place of Jehovah, will allure her. If you allure somebody, you woo them romantically. And he's saying he'll allure us, the church, the bride of Christ. I will allure her. And what's he going to do when he woos you? I will lead her, you and me, into the desert. Oh, that's a big deal. You didn't just find yourself there. The Holy Spirit loved you enough to woo you and lead you to the desert. And then listen to what he promises and speak tenderly to her. And you go, well, that's the problem. I'm in the desert and there's no speaking tenderly. I'm not hearing anything. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you how you hear. Because it's not an emotional hearing. It's not a, a, oh, you know, I hear him. It's not like standing in worship. <gasps> worship was wonderful today. It, no, that's not how it usually is in the desert. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack for you at least what, what the scriptural principles that I've used. But let me, let me make this journey. What, first of all, what's the desert feel like? 
spiritually? What's it feel like for me? Now, if you, if you think of a physical desert, it's much the same spiritually. It's dry. It's barren. Um, you're usually by yourself. You feel lonely because, you know, it, when you're, you know, it's not like you run a banquet in a desert. I mean, there are a bunch of people. Let's all go hang out in the desert, you know. Your family can even feel far away because you don't build your home in the desert. You may build it on the edge, but not in the desert. And, and there's not much vegetation, and it all looks the same. It's so boring. You know, it's just, it's just, it's just that tan sameness. Nothing's really exciting, and if you happen to see something, it's probably a cactus that's prickly and hurts. Nobody, nobody, their idea of a great time is let's go hang out in the middle of the heat and get uncomfortable and smelly when you sweat. <laughs> Welcome to the desert. So there's just, and, and, you know, interestingly enough, obviously Jesus had his desert time. I just said 40 days, 40 nights, wilderness, desert. But let me tell you, the other big desert time, I think, for Jesus was obviously when Gethsemane started. And he said, Father, it be possible, remove the cup, nevertheless your will, but mine be done. And then he went to the cross. And he's hanging on the cross. And he's saying, you talk about desert. Father, Father, why have you, what's the next word? Forsaken me. See, a bunch of us, you know, when, when we don't feel the conscious presence of God, God can, God's presence, if you belong to him, is always there. But your ability to sense or feel him comes and goes. And I kept saying to the girls at Lavish this weekend, there is nowhere in the word of God where it, where it equates intimacy with God with a certain feeling. Nowhere in the word of God. But yet our human nature certainly does that. It's much easier to follow the Lord when you're in springtime spiritually. Much more challenging when you're in the desert. I mean, I don't pray for the desert. You're an idiot if you do. You know. Oh, God, take all the feelings away. I want to be miserable. <laughs> Bring it on. No. God, I want to be lonely. I just love hanging out by myself. <laughs> Hope I'm schizophrenic so I have someone to talk to. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, and, and I remind myself, uh, and, and I say it in that book, Finding God, Uncensored, Finding God When He Feels Far Away. Uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Very, felt very much like a desert time. And obviously, he was at the cross, for crying out loud. He was doing the most eternal work ever. And I think sometimes when we're feeling God the least, we just may be actually frightening hell the most. Do you hear that? Listen to that. When you're in the desert and you're feeling the most barren, dry, whatever. See, because anybody can walk with God when you're feeling everything. That, that doesn't take any commitment. That's like saying, oh, we have a wonderful marriage when you're, you know, when you're salivating over each other. That takes nothing, you know. <laughs> if you're salivating over each other, you either aren't married yet or you've only been married a couple of weeks, you know. <laughs> or you just took a really good vacation, you know. 
<laughs> I often I told the girls this weekend, if two of you are married and you always agree, one of you is totally unnecessary. <laughs> so, so don't worry about it. But, <laughs> but again, you know, desert times dry. So I, what are some of God's purposes in allowing us to go through those desert times? And quite honestly, remember it said uh, both Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. And, and in that verse that I read to you in Hosea, it said he would lead us into the desert. So sometimes he allows them, but sometimes he just stink and leads you there. And you go, thanks. <laughs> this is how you treat your friends. I'd hate to see how you treat your enemies. So, you know, I, here's why I think some of his purposes are for those dry, unfeeling times. Number one, to free me as a Christ follower, from what I call the idolatry of feelings. I think feelings are in the new facts of the 21st century. You know, everybody wants to feel a certain way. That's why lots of people bail on commitments because they don't feel like they want to be committed anymore. Adjust your feelings to the facts. Commitment is a choice, not a feeling. I think we're allowed to go through desert times to help me grow more in love with him rather than in love with feelings of him. When you say, I love him more than I ever did before, what are you really saying? Are you saying I'm more committed to his word and his character? Or are you really saying I feel more right now? Because see, lots of people are not in love with God, they're in heat with him. See, even animals can be in heat. Real human beings who make choices are in love. And I choose to be in love with my Savior. Sometimes I think he lets the, the, the desert times come to force my spiritual root structure to go deeper. Uh, because we would all know this, you know, when, when if, if a plant is planted right by the water, uh, like, uh, like the initial psalm talks about, uh, it's beautiful and it's, it's fulfilling. But your roots don't have to go very deep to get to the source of water. And quite honestly, if that be the case when the storms come, you easily, that tree or vegetation is easily uprooted because roots aren't very deep. But if, if you're deeper in the forest and you're the big mighty oak tree, you have deep roots. Or if you're in the desert and you're away from all sources of water, your root structure has to become either very deep or very, uh, very attuned at being able to gather water because water is so scarce. So, you know what, if you're always in a, woo, time with the Lord, you're delightful, but you're not. You're pretty superficial. Then I think sometimes the desert times come, and, and I've already said this, to separate religious feelings from religious reality, thereby creating in me a naked dependence on his word. Do you not like that phrase? I do it that way to almost bump you. A naked dependence on his word. That's where I'm living now with my husband 31 days ago. You know, he's promoted to be with Jesus. Nearly 48 years we live. 
We've always done ministry together. I said in the last service, it was never Jeannie Mayo. It was Sam and Jeannie Mayo. I don't like just Jeannie Mayo, you know? I've done everything important. I, 48 years, you know, I, gosh, you know, every ministry we did, we did together. We had our children together. Now they're both in full-time ministry. Everything important was he knew how to finish the sentences. I knew how to finish the sentences, you know. And, and I said to the girls at Lavish, you've got to understand this naked dependence on his word. Here's my definition of faith. I think faith is sometimes choosing to trust the character of God and the word of God even when you do not understand your circumstances. Because, see, if God has to answer all your prayers the way you want them answered, you'll never make hell very nervous. See, I didn't get my prayers answered the way I wanted. Now, don't worry. I told the girls at conference, I didn't pray these anemic prayers, like, Lord, if it's your will, heal my husband. Oh, foot, no. I, I know what the Word of God says about healing. And so I prayed every scripture on healing almost every day. And then towards the end, I, I made up my own scriptures just to add on to the others. Don't worry. I, I prayed that some of you didn't think that was funny. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Some of you are too churchy. But uh, I, 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 so right to the very end right to the very end, because I didn't want to give hell an inch. But here's the deal. If you have real faith, you know that the Bible says his ways are sometimes above your ways, and his thoughts are sometimes above your thoughts. And I told the girls at Lavish, you got to somewhere along the line decide if you believe in heaven or you just sing about it. Because if I believe in it, which I do, I'll have him forever. You know, we used to say that the way we were going to go out was, we, you know, in earlier days when you were younger, you kid about dying. So, you know, as you get older, you go, huh, not kidding about that one anymore. <laughs> Have you gotten your ARP card in the mail? That is a, that is a really <laughs> deafening moment. <laughs> one of my spiritual sons thought it was so funny when he, I hide it in my wallet, but it gets discounts some places, so I sneak it out occasionally, and he took it and posted it on Instagram one day. I thought, you're going to burn in hell, but uh, <laughs> but I, 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 you know, I, what in the world was I saying? Sam and I would say, we're going to hold hands and go together. You know, that's kind of how we thought it was. And, and, you know, he would say to me, hey, if I die first, you start looking around at the grave for somebody, which, that's repulsive. And uh, when you've been married, they're the best, you don't look. And I said to him, if I die first, you better not look for two years. <laughs> don't even. Or I will give you diarrhea from heaven, and you will <laughs> never. You will regret you looked at another sugar booger. Two years, baby. After two years, have at it. Mm -mm. And I, I think, this is why I stayed in youth ministry. I can talk like this there. Only they're no fun. They, they don't laugh as good as you. So I figure, never mind. I, I'll, I'll come on your staff when I'm done there. Okay. And then last of all, I think he allows spiritual desert times 
to bring me to a place of spiritual maturity and stability that will allow me to be strong when my husband dies. That will allow me to be strong during dry, unfeeling, challenging times. You know? I've got a little, little um, picture frame that I got a Hobby Lobby when the stroke started. It kicked him into Lewy body dementia, which was nasty. The, I, I told the girls, I knew I was in trouble when the neurologist said, Lewy body makes Alzheimer's seem like a coveted friend. And he was right, because hallucinations, delusions, moves much faster and uh, comes with Parkinson's. And, and so it was my honor to keep him at home the whole time paid a wonderful caregiver while I was at work and when I happened to be traveling on the weekend, but I got to serve my hero the rest of the time. And I, I got to model for young leaders in my life and the cadre and stuff, what till death do us part in sickness and in health looks like. Because great leaders assign purpose to all their pain. I didn't want to just endure it. I wanted to give it meaning. And I'm not sure what the meaning of this season will be yet. But I'll, I'll figure it out. Because I know one thing. I'm going through it. You know, sometimes when the tough times come, you want to go around it. Like the desert. You want to go around the desert. Lord, Lord, take this away. But if you want to be a real Christ follower, occasionally, he trusts you enough because you trust him enough to say, I'll go through it if that's your will. See, everybody wants to live on the resurrection side of the empty tomb, but nobody wants three days inside the grave. And, and so, you know, again, hey, I'm going to come out on the other side stronger. That Hobby Lobby sign, be brave, be brave. You know, every time we sing that ocean song, you know, that I think that's it. Is that it? Be brave, you know. You make me brave, Lord. You make me brave. So what do I do when I'm in the desert? I'll, I'll give you, for me anyway, what I do. And I'm so sorry, you're the second service, so I'm letting myself have more fun with you. So I'm late. This pastor is on time. He dismisses you better. I'm the guest speaker, so don't stop coming to the church because I went too long, okay? <laughs> uh, the guy who's next week, he's better than me, and he'll dismiss on time. Okay. But I got an airplane to catch, so you don't have to worry. This will not be for the forever. What do I do when I go to the desert? And I love Psalm 63. It's David, who was was the psalmist who was talking about spiritual deserts. Oh God, you are my God. I seek for you. My soul thirsts. See, when you're in a desert, you're thirsty. Thirst for you. My flesh faints for you in this dry and weary land where there is no water. That's a desert. And I think maybe he was in a physical desert, but he most certainly was in a spiritual one. I'm in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. My soul thirsts for you. So what do you do? Let's keep reading. David, this psalmist, what do you do? Psalm 63, verses 2 and 3, he says, So, my first one, so I look upon you in the sanctuary and focus hard on your power. 
I'm your glory. Listen, girls, when I talked about a character of God notebook, what I challenge all of us to do to begin to know God's character. Not It says in Psalms, the children of Israel knew God's acts, but Moses knew his ways. Moses, a friend of God, knew his character. So I've studied his character for many years. So I focused hard, two of his character attributes, on his power and on your glory because your steadfast love. See, steadfastness is part of his character. Love is part of his character. Two more. It's better than life. My lips will praise you, not because of how I feel in the desert, but because of your character. And in this part, your power, your glory, your steadfastness, and your love. So I would say in the middle of the desert, focus hard on God's character, not on your lack of feelings. Whatever you focus on, you're going to fuel more of. So if you focus on, I don't feel in this dry and weary land, I'm not, no feelings, no feelings, no feelings. Don't look now, you're just creating more. Whatever you focus on, you're going to fuel. But if you're focusing on his character, it has nothing to do with what you feel or do not feel. Teach yourself. See, great, great Christ followers bring their thoughts into captivity. Philippians 4 tells you how to think. How to think. And then secondly, what do I do when I'm in those dry desert times? Psalm 63, verses 6 and 7a, the first part of verse 7, so I call it 7a. Verses 6 and 7a, David the psalmist says, I lie in bed as I lie in bed. I remember you. Look at that. I remember you. All night long, I think of you because you have always been my help. Now, go back to that first part. As I lie in bed, it, whenever you're laying in bed, especially before you fall asleep, at least my mind, my mind wonders, you know. You can tell a lot about yourself when you're in those, you know, moments, where can your head go, you know, whatever. As I lie in bed, he says, I think about you. I, I remember you. And then all night long. So I say, number two, ruthlessly guard your thought life while you're in the desert. Ruthlessly guard it. Don't let your head just think whatever it wants to think. You've got to guard it because your thoughts can be weird and dangerous and off-kelter and very full of not biblical truth in the desert. Ruthlessly guard your thought life in the desert, especially when you feel like you're in the dark. See, when he says, all night long, I think of you. Night's dark. It's dark for me now. And again, I, I always want to make balancing statements because well-meaning people want to come and lay hands and they think they're going to pray a magic prayer and take me out of it. No, folks, I, I have faith. I, I, it's okay. It's okay. I'm going to be okay. I appreciate your prayers, but don't cast anything out. I'm doing okay. But the bottom line is, listen, I am in a, a dark place. If, if you lived almost 48 years with, with the patriarch and the greatest man of prayer and the greatest shepherd you ever knew, and he was taken to be with Jesus, hey, and you weren't in a little bit of darkness, you didn't have a good marriage. You know? I think I'm... I'm blessed. My son sent me a little uh, poem yesterday with it being a month, and my adult son, I've got two of them, and he, and he said something about, 
I, I don't quote it well, but, you know, when we grieve, it's not because we don't have faith. It's only because we've been privileged to deeply love. Isn't that true? And, and so, you know what? Hey, you maybe didn't lose your spouse 48 years a month ago, but you have, you have tough times. Many of you have already had losses of spouses or children or, or other big tough times. You know what night feels like, but I'm just saying, ruthlessly guard your thought life. Bring your thoughts into captivity, especially when it's dark. And then Psalm 63, 7b, the second part of that verse 7. In the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Oh, I love that. In the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Now, now get the context there. In the shadow of your wings. So he's, he's like the eagle analogy. You know, or a bird. I'm, I'm up higher. And so I say, in the desert times, make sure your perspective comes from what I'm calling here an aerial view, an up high view, in the shadow of your wings, and then I sing for joy and start singing. And, and so, you know what? I, this is so simple, but, you know, aerial view. See, if... When I'm up here, when I'm on the lower level, you know, in the back row, you could be sleeping, and I wouldn't know. But I'm seeing now. <laughs> Wake up, you little losers. <laughs> Hi, balcony. How are you? How are you? If the rapture takes place, you're beating these guys down here. <laughs> Some of you didn't get that. That's all right. All right. <laughs> the rap who? Never mind. Never mind. You know. But uh, I'm, I'm just saying an aerial view gives you perspective. It's higher. Like, see, if, if I picked up my iPad and, and I held my notes up real close to me, everything's blurry. It's only as I get some distance from me that clarity comes. Isn't that true? And that's how it is with light. Now, I'm not meaning that someday I'm going to go, oh, I perfectly understand why my husband was promoted early. That's, that's bogus. His ways, God's ways above mine. His thoughts are above mine. But what I'm saying is distance, though, gives meaning and purpose and clarity to things. And, and, and so it is that the aerial view, see, when I'm, when I'm too up close to stuff in the desert, you know, all I can do is feel it's hot, I'm lonely, I'm not feeling anything, I'm thirsty for spiritual water, and gosh, that preacher's dead anymore. And that worship leader, he used to be anointed. He sings all those new songs now. I don't like the new songs. I want the old stuff. Matter of fact, you know, I'm going to go to another church where they're anointed. But then after you've been there a few months, you'll think they're not anointed. Because the problem's never with the preacher or the worship leader, it's with you. Love you, sugar booger. <laughs> Get an aerial view. I call it the peak-to-peak -peak principle. I never will let myself make major decisions when I'm in a valley emotionally. Because when you're in the valley, you're not up high enough. And all you're seeing is the two sides of the mountains. You don't have clear perspective. 
when I get on the mount, when I get on the peak, like up here, I can see clearly. Then I got perspective. Then the decisions that I make are probably going to be okay ones. And so when I say, listen, when, when the desert times come, get an aerial view. And by the way, while you're up there, start singing. Sing. I don't care what you got to sing. Now, singing, it would be better if it were worship. Buy one of the CDs from your amazing worship team and just play it all the time. Sing it. If, if you don't, are not into doing that right then, my, my recent song of choice is so stupid just because it's ridiculous. It is. Put your right hand in. Put your right hand out. Put your right hand in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. And that is not my honest singing voice. Or you're going to say, just keep talking, but don't enter worship. All right, no, I, you know, and, and I crack up because I was studying this guy. I can't even remember his name, the guy. I was studying making a signature on because obviously that's what I'm trying to do with my life. And honestly, you know, uh, you know, this guy can't even mark somebody or other that wrote the hokey pokey. And when he died back in 1996, they had trouble because they said, you know, that they'd, they'd put the guy in the casket and he'd put his right hand in and his right hand poked back out again. <laughs> so it's a problem. But I hope your signature is better than the hokey pokey guy. But Sing the hokey pokey, sing worship, sing whatever you got to sing, but get an aerial view during the desert times and start singing, start singing. And, and then point four, it, and I love this, verse, Psalm 63, verse eight, my soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me strong. Mm, I love that. My soul clings to you. Now, in the Hebrew, the word soul is mind, will, and emotions. My soul clings to you. My mind, my will, my emotions. I'm not feeling anything, but again, I make my emotions, like we talked about girls at the lavish, talk to my, talk to my, I make my will talk to my emotions, rather. My soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me strong, strong. And so I say, last of all, when you're in the desert times, in your pursuit of God, and again, another unashamed commercial for starting a study of the character of God, always pursue relationship above experience. When you pursue experience, you pursue the feeling of the moment. You know, like you're on a roller coaster, ah, it scared me, or I thought it was hysterical, you know. Or you're watching a movie that moves you emotionally. Or, or, or you're listening to a song that moves you When When you pursue experience, again, you're pursuing something that's very fleeting because the feelings will go away. When you pursue relationship, you pursue to know the person. I think God has a lot of, a lot of fair weather friends who want to be his friend when they get what they want. But see, if you want relationship, you want to know his character. And, and, and so, you know what? 
It's yes, Lord. Like I said to the girls, the answer is yes. I'm going through. People said to me recently, has it been difficult having faith through the last two and a half years after the stroke? Because I didn't get the answer to prayer I wanted. And I said, oh, it's been certainly challenging. And there are certainly moments. You know, I I certainly don't want to say there weren't moments where I went, I don't get this. Because, you know, I expected the end of the story to come out differently. But by God's grace, and I want to say it's grace, 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 grace. Have I said grace enough? Yeah, no, you didn't have to say it. I just want to make sure I've said it enough, all right? By his grace, and I I just want to not give the enemy a foothold here. Uh, There's not been a big, there's been some crisis of faith, but not much because, see, I, I know his character. And, and I know that he's just in all his ways and kind in all he's doing. Now, my, my mental head doesn't figure out how this is kindness or justice. But he's, I've studied his character. Just in all his ways and kind in all he's doing. I, I know his character. He's my husband. I'm the bride of Christ and he's my husband. That might get a little confusing for you if you're a man. I just thought of that. Figure it out. Anyway. <laughs> but, but, but I'm just saying, gosh, I have chosen to pursue relationship in his word and his character above experience. So I can cry myself to sleep every night. There's my experience. But that's different from my relationship with him. So I can be in the desert. And, and my experience may not be feeling or warm fuzzy, but my relationship is still intact because I built it on his word and his character. And, and when it says, my soul clings to you, your right hand holds me strong. I love Isaiah 41.10. I will withhold you with my victorious right hand. See, not all of us are right-handed, but many of us are. And your right hand is more your place of strength. I will withhold you with my victorious right Right hand. You don't need a victorious hand unless you're in a battle. Do you hear that? See? See, everybody wants victory, but they don't want to be on the battlefield. That's not how, how it works. And I, I love this picture of the strength of God's hands. When, when, uh, when we were raising our kids, our family loved to snow ski together. And so, gosh, Josh and Justin, our sons who are adults now in ministry, we, we took them several times snow skiing. And... Josh was probably about seven when, when he had said he'd gotten pretty good on the, the smaller hills. So he said, Mom, take me to a bigger one. So we rode the ski lift up, and he gets up to the top, and then he looks down, and I see fear on his face because he's going, Ugh. <laughs> you, know, you know, how am I getting down? This looks tougher than what I thought. And I said to him, honey, listen, put your skis. He's just said, put your skis between Mama's skis. And then I'm going to hold your shoulders with my hands. And mom's going to hold tight. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guide you down. And you're going to be fine. Because, see, my strong hand was holding my son. That's such a picture of how God the Father holds us in the desert times. My victorious right hand's got you. Don't worry, the mountain may not. Look like something you're going to be able to handle. I got you. And, and the, the, the speed 
and the module on the Lord. Yeah, I'm gonna, we're gonna take, I gotcha. I gotcha. I look into my future, and if I let my flesh have have control, there's a lot of question marks and loneliness and, and concerns financially and all, all the different things that come to somebody at this point. But you know what? I have to keep reminding myself. He says his victorious right hand, Jeannie, I got you. You're the apple of my eye. Fear not, for I have redeemed you, Jeannie. I have called you by name. You're mine. You're mine. Now I'm going to mess with you. That verse is easy to clap over. How do you do it living it? Thank you for the clapping. It meant the world to me for real. But what I'm saying to you is we have a church world out there that is good at clapping at Scripture and not so hot at living it. How are you at quoting the Word of God back to yourself? See, that my prayer life is full of taking the Word of God, putting it in first person, and quoting it back to Him over and over, making it mine. And, and so... Oh, gosh, I love this church. It's too easy to talk here. All right, I'm going to tell you a closing song and then hush. Um, a, a, a closing story, pardon me. Um, it's a true story. I love history. History is his story. And, and so I love it. And this one's true. Uh, taken from the Holocaust times. Nazi Germany. You know, obviously the Jewish people and many Christians, not just Jews, have been taken captive. And there was a, a Jewish family named the Rosenbergs. And there were four of them that had been taken captive and taken to the work camps in Auschwitz. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Rosenberg, mom and dad. And then David, the older brother. And then Jacob, who was a young man, only about, about 12. And, and they often... They often most feared for, for Jacob's life because Jacob was crippled. He could still walk, but he struggled very much with his little crippled feet to get around. And because obviously the Nazis sent you to the ovens when you could no longer produce at the work camp, the Rosenberg family daily when they would, they would be split up. It, it, they would keep the Jewish people herded in these dark rooms with so many of them like cattle herded at night to sleep there in the darkness and then they would release them by groups for different work assignments and and so always the Rosenbergs had a, a certain corner of the, the barren room that they would meet every day when they'd come back from their work assignments exhausted and dirty and having been treated like cattle. But they would always most look for Jacob because obviously they feared the day that no longer would the Nazis feel like he did enough work to keep him alive and he'd be sent to the oven. So uh, one day, a typical drill, uh, the father came in and he looked to the back corner and as he got a little closer in the darkness, he found his oldest son, David. And David was crying. And terror struck, struck the heart of the father. 
David. David, what is it? David said, Father, they, after you left today, they had taken the dead out for his work. So after you left, they called, they called Jacob to come forward. They were taking him. And he knew where he was going. The husband said, but mother, where's mother? She was strong. She was strong. Where's mother? Where's your mother? And David said, Father, when, when they called Jacob, he began to cry. Because he knew. And so mother ran forward. And she wrapped her arms around him. And I heard her. I heard her, Father, this is what she said to him. She said, Jacob, you don't need to be afraid because wherever they're going to take you, Mother's going to go there with you. And Mother will hold you. why I said seek relationship not experience most of the time when you most need to know he's there the enemy is a master at blocking your conscious awareness of his presence your feelings have nothing to do with the reality of his promises when you're in the desert been songs that have been anthems for me through this whole run. We sang one yesterday afternoon. You know, I, I've talked about oceans, but we're about to sing another one that's been an anthem. I'm no longer a slave to fear. You know what fear is? You probably heard F-E-A-R. False evidence of real the false evidence in my life says gosh this is lonely the false evidence in my life has all sorts of different question marks that will remain between me and the Lord as far as future steps the desert can get pretty scary people aren't hanging out with you in the desert at night 
and the temperatures drop and you've gone from hot to sometimes blisteringly cold. You don't just go to the desert usually with a warm overcoat or if you came with a big heavy coat, you shed it when it hit 100. See, it's crazy. It's scary. But Jesus let me come. See, some of you, you weren't even at the lavish conference. Or maybe what I said at lavish, if you were there, didn't resonate with you. But, but what I'm saying is for some of you, Jesus was kind enough to me to let me come for you for today. To say, so you're in the desert. And again, if you're not now, store the notes. You will be. But he sent me to remind you, I'm holding you tight. You don't have to be afraid.